You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Stanton, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Paxton. Welcome to the eighth episode of The Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in 30 minutes or less. I'm Austin Staten, and I'm joined by Zach Taylor and Jeremy Paxton. Guys, it's no secret that all three of us are Baylor alums and tend to side with the right on political and social issues. How do you guys feel about adding a little diversity to the mix? Could make things fun. All right, well, on that note, let's welcome Kevin Cook into the mix. Kevin, give the listeners a brief introduction. Uh, I'm Kevin Cook. I'm a sports writer here in Houston, producing community newspapers. I do a lot of high school sports. Uh, I am left-leaning. I will freely admit that. I know you guys are, um, I mean, almost scarily leaning right very conservative uh, i've listened to the podcast it's terrific work but it is frightening stuff and so i am coming in here to save this podcast and make it more palatable to the average person who doesn't you know want everyone to have guns and you know wants women to have rights things like that so i'm happy to be here uh, i think that i'm just what this podcast needs strong introduction kevin uh guys what do you think about that they're speechless <laughs> this is gonna be fun i think they've never seen a democrat before i see them all day long you just, you just flustered them, Kevin. I think that's great. Happy to have you on, Kevin. Well, Kevin, welcome to the show, and we're glad to have you on as a guest host tonight. All right, folks, we've got a packed show on tap. It's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. Let's start with the big lead. The big lead. We had a crazy end of the regular season for the Major League Baseball playoff race. Texas Rangers dropped the Angels behind a complete game from Cole Hamels to clinch the West and earn a date with the Toronto Blue Jays in the divisional round. The Astros and Cy Young favorite Dallas Keuchel travel to the Bronx to face the Yankees on Tuesday night. The winner of the one-game playoff will then travel to Kansas City to take on the Royals. Joining us now on the Weekly Brew to talk baseball is a career 500 hitter at Baylor University and a guy who actually has his jersey retired at a sports bar in Waco. Andrew Cooley, welcome to the Weekly Brew. Hey, happy to be here, guys. Andrew, if you can, just uh, give the listeners a brief introduction. Tell them who you are what you do. I'm Andrew Cooley. Uh, from Houston, also went to Baylor University. Uh, like Austin said, uh, played baseball at Baylor four years. Now I work, uh, do consulting out of Houston, and just an uh, avid sports fan, avid Houston sports fan, and uh, excited for the postseason. As an avid sports fan, you actually had a flight yesterday that left at 5 o'clock, but you changed your flight, pushed it back an extra two, two and a half hours so you could watch the Astros. What was going through your mind, you know, a decade uh, no playoffs for, you know, Houston Athletics. And, and then you see, the, you, you know, them finally clinch a playoff berth. To me, I had to evaluate the change fees of changing, you know, same day, evaluate how much is going to affect pushing it back. I actually I delayed an additional hour on top of that. Didn't get back to the hotel to around midnight last night. Um, all worth it to see, uh, even though the Astros lost, to see how that played out yesterday with the whole AOS and seeing them clinch a playoff spot. That's just a memory that's worth the extra dose of coffee this morning. We originally tried to get Sean Tollinson on the show, uh, a guy that you played with. Uh, what was it like to see you know him go from a guy that nobody thought would you know be drafted or make anything of his career to going to the Texas Rangers, being their closer, being almost the nemesis of the Astros this season, getting 30-plus saves, what was that feeling like as a former teammate to see him have success this year? Well, Sean's a guy, I know he had he was a big prospect coming out of high school, had some injury issues, Tommy John surgery. Um, so didn't necessarily have, and we, we had a great um, recruiting class that year, number one in Baseball America my freshman year. So a lot of guys, I think he was just a little overshadowed just based on that class. 
Um, but just a tremendous person, um, tremendous family member. I mean, uh, family man, uh, just an awesome human being. I mean, the guy you want to root for, uh, be successful. And so I'm happy for him. I still keep in touch with him. Still text him every now and then. I, I wish he would blow a save against the Ashes every once in a while. But you know, I mean, it's the guy who's easy to root for. Um, and I'm rooting for him here in this postseason. So Jeremy, I know you don't like baseball at all. But did we kind of convince you to enjoy the sport after the Astros put 21 runs on the board on Friday night? Three touchdowns did it for me. I'll be honest with you. I was glued at the TV. Uh, I've never been glued to the TV for that long watching baseball. I would much rather watch golf or paint dry on the wall or uh, crap. I could watch reruns of Happy Days of the Golden Girls. Um, But no, I was totally entranced by this. Um, Apparently they took a cue from... uh, the Baylor offense on um, how to score points. So I was, uh, I was really excited actually. So we've got an exciting uh, game Tuesday night, Dallas Keuchel uh, taking on Tanaka for the Yankees. What do you guys see as the possible outcome for that? Do you, do you give the Astros a chance? I mean, it looks like they're riding momentum, but they do have to go on the road, uh, a, a place in which they've struggled immensely this season. Here's the thing. It's a one game series. So I give anyone a chance. Any team in baseball can beat any other team in baseball over a one game series. And that's, what's absurd about this wild card rule is that you have, you know, a hundred, however many 62 games in the regular season. And so then you end up with a one game series in which anybody can take. So we have our, we have our star, uh, our, you know, ace Dallas Keuchel, but, but there's just too much randomness in this whole situation. I think, I think it's a farce, honestly, but I like the chances. I mean, you know, it's a hitter. Park. Uh, Dallas Keuchel doesn't get a lot of home run score. He's a low thrower and uh, Tanaka does get uh, absolutely shelled sometimes. So I, I like it to be a high scoring game. I think the Astros are going to win it. Andrew, Zach, what about you guys? I agree. I think it's going to be a somewhat high scoring game. Keuchel, you look at his record against the Yankees, he hasn't allowed a, a run to him in the two outings he's faced. And then you look at Tanaka on the other side, the Astros only faced him one time, but they did get him, rough him up pretty well. Six runs in five innings. That, of course, being in Minute Maid Park. I think the big key here is you have two home run hitting teams and a home run hitter friendly park. However, you've got a ground ball pitcher in Dallas Keuchel. He's got one of the top ground ball rates in the league. is like around 62% ground ball out, uh, ground, ball hit on the ground. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I agree. I think the Astros really are going to be uh, favored in this one to come out. The only really caution, I think, pitching-wise is, you got Keiko coming off three days rest. You never know how effective a guy could be on three days rest. And that bullpen has just been abysmal in September and October. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic that the Astros pull it out unbiasedly. Vegas actually has the Astros as a slight favorite tomorrow, tomorrow evening. And if the Astros do win, of course, they're going to take on the Kansas City Royals, who kind of stumbled down the stretch as well. How do we see that matchup potentially shaking out? I, I think I'm confident in uh, the Astros being able to, to beat the Yankees in the one-game wild card, but I don't think they stand a shot against the Royals, um, particularly since they aren't going to have home field advantage against them and they're having the worst road record in the American League. I just don't think they have what it takes this year. Uh, I think they've definitely got the stuff built for, you know, give it next year a couple of years to, to you know, be competing for the best record in the American League uh, and basically being the Royals in a couple of years. But right now I don't I don't think they have what it takes just considering how they perform on the road and that they're going to have to win, you know, at least two or three games against the Royals on the road to be able to, to, to take that home. And that's not a big loss. I mean, the Astros are, are ahead of schedule here. They're overperforming, I think. And so a loss in the second, I don't know if you want to call it a round, but whatever they do here I think is just kind of icing on the cake. We had a great year for some young players, and I think there's a lot of room to grow for this team. I tend to agree. I think the Astros' road record finally catches up to them. 
And the Royals, you know, they haven't played well down the stretch in September, you know, really 11 and 17. You, you look for that going into postseason, who can make a run, who's kind of swooning a little bit because they've had that big lead for so long. But they've come off a five-game winning streak. They've played well in October. I think they're going to hit flip the switch at the right time, and I think the Astros – while it's probably the best matchup they could get, I think it's it'll be too much. And speaking of the other side of the bracket, we've got the Texas Rangers heading to Toronto, arguably the hot, two of the hottest teams in baseball. Uh, Toronto definitely upgraded at the uh, the trade deadline, and the Texas Rangers, you know, went from essentially worst to first, winning the ALS. They went twenty four and fifteen against teams that made the playoffs this season, despite going nine and ten against Oakland, the worst team in the American League. Do the Rangers have a shot? going to Toronto, pulling the upset. They've been a lot of fun to watch this year, both a lot of fun and a lot of pain, like a lot of painful to watch. They've been consistently inconsistent, went from, you know, all of April uh, and part of May being one of the worst teams in baseball, then about a month and a half stretch of being one of the best teams in baseball, then back to being one of the worst. And um, it's, it's a little frustrating to watch, but it's, it's been exciting. Um, I think it's, it's going to be hit or miss. A lot of it's going to depend on the bullpen and the ability for the bats to come through. Um, I've seen a lot of games this year where they, the Rangers either score, you know, no runs or they'll score 10. Uh, and playing against the Blue Jays, the, the bats are going to have to be on um, to be able to have a shot against them. So I give them a 50-50. It just depends on how consistent the bullpen is as well as the bats. One thing that I definitely see as a, you know, kind of a, a hindrance here toward the Rangers is that Cole Hamels went the distance on Sunday to win the division. Uh, and, you know, uh, David Price is coming off of a few extra days of rest. And so you're looking at you're going to have to beat him twice, essentially, if you want to win that series. And, you know, it's just kind of remarkable to see what the Rangers have done on July 3rd through 5th. Uh, they ended up playing the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and they were swept in that series, outscored 33-8, to and then you know just made that remarkable run uh, in September, partly because the Astros collapsed on the stretch. Uh, but it's kind of remarkable to see what they were able to accomplish after signing Cole Hamels. Completely agree, and I would I would agree. You know, put the put the Rangers in the same boat here as a Rangers fan, um, as the Astros. If anything, after this is just kind of icing on the cake, being the worst team in the American League last year, having a new manager, you Darvish getting injured. Um, the, the idea of even making the playoffs, winning the West was just, you know, out of the wild, you know, out of, you know, not something that we considered. And, uh, and it's just, it's nice to see that, that this was possible. And it, it makes me really excited for next year when we get uh, you Darvish back and have, uh, Cole Hamels and, and you Darvish going a one, two in the, uh, in the rotation. I'm just going to run down some really quick stats for you real quick. Leaders and pitcher appearances for 2015 AL champs. Waiver claim, Sean Tolleson. The Rangers had 47 combined starts this year from Nick Martinez, Wandy Rodriguez, Ross Detweiler, Phil Klein, and Anthony Renato. I mean, seriously, this team won the AL West. It's remarkable to see what they've done. Uh, I think it's just a great storyline to see both the Rangers and the Astros, who were you know bottom dwellers last year, make a push and actually make baseball relevant in the state in October when football is king. Let's go ahead and look right now to the National League. We've got a hell of a pitching matchup between Jake Arrieta and Garrett Cole in the wild card game as the Pirates and Cubs are set to square off on Tuesday as well. Winner gets the St. Louis Cardinals, who finished with the best record in Major League Baseball this season. How do you guys see this pitching duel shaking out? I think you hit on the head. I think runs are a premium. You get Jake Arrieta, 22-game winner. Garrett Cole, 19-game winner. Arrieta, I saw the stat today. The Cubs have won 17 of the last 18 times he's taken the mound, including the last 13 games he's taken the mound. The one loss in there was Cole Hamill's no-hitter. So the guy has just, I mean, been just untouchable, and they're just brimming with confidence when he takes the mound. He's had a .75 ERA against the Pirates this season. And you would like to think that a Pirates, really the home field advantage, would play into their favor 
or the Cubs are 48 and 33 on the road, and they won the head-to-head series. They won 11 of the 19 games they played each other. So I don't know. The Cubs have had a team, you know, since September. You know, they're 46 and 19 on the last 65 games. I really see them winning a close game. It's going to come down to whoever doesn't make the mistake, who doesn't make, you know, execution, who doesn't make the error, the critical base running mistake. I, I see it being a 3-2 ball game, a 2-1 ball game, something like that. But I think the Cubs and Jake Arrieta come out on top. I think it's a shame. I, I think just, you know, adding on to what we you know just got done talking about, I think it's a shame that this uh, Chicago-Pittsburgh series is just a one-game thing. And, and then moving on to that and having either Chicago or Pittsburgh play St. Louis and that being just a five-game series. I mean, these are the three best teams in baseball and are, I think, well worth, you know, a seven-game series to decide between the three of them um, which one should be coming out and playing for the uh, NLCS. But... That's just the way the way that way it rolls. Looking to the other side of the bracket, we've got the Dodgers squaring off against the New York Mets, who again made some acquisitions at the All Star break and uh, you know finished nicely down the stretch, uh, essentially causing the Washington Nationals to fire, fire their manager. How do you see that series shaking out with uh, the nice one two punch that the Dodgers have with uh, led by Clayton Kershaw? I think you hit it on the head right there. The one two punch, I think, is really such a tough draw for New York. I mean, your work's cut out for you. I think it's too much, um, especially you consider the Dodgers are just been excellent at home. They're 55 and 26 at home. I Personally, I think it, it'd be too much for pretty much any team they would go against in a five-game series. So I have the Dodgers coming out of that one. But what about Clayton Kershaw? He's a guy that, you know, is, is absolutely remarkable during the regular season. He's, you know, won a few Cy Youngs, but he seems to struggle during the postseason. Do you see those postseason woes carrying over into the series? But all things considered... Um, you don't want to see Clayton Kershaw in the postseason or the regular season. I don't think it's going to matter. Definitely got exciting playoff baseball just right around the corner. Uh, and before uh, you know, we move on to our next subject, uh, let's talk about predict. Who do you guys have in the World Series? And I have the Cubs actually winning the World Series, ending the curse of the Billy Goat. Steve Bartman comes out of hiding, and there's riots in Wrigleyville. I'm at the, that's my bold prediction. That's very bold. And Back to the Future 2 is correct. And if you're listening to this on Thursday morning and my entire bracket is Sharpie because that game on Wednesday could go either way, I think the winner of that game, whether it's the Pirates or the Cubs, goes on to represent the NL. Bold predictions there. Zach, what about you? What do you think? I'm going to have the uh, Blue Jays coming out of the uh, American League. And then in the National League, I'm going to pick uh, I'm gonna pick the Cubs um, winning the wild card game and having them lose to St. Louis. Uh, and then I'm going to go ahead and actually pick the Mets to beat the Dodgers. I'm just not confident in the Dodgers until they actually prove that they can win in the postseason. Um, and then I'm going to have the uh, Cardinals beating the Mets, and uh, then probably the Cardinals uh, taking home the World Series again from the Blue Jays. All right. Jeremy, what about you? What Cooley said. No. Um, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, some predictions here. I actually think it could be Cardinals-Royals. I know that uh, the Royals have struggled. Um, into the fall, but uh, I think that they might pull this out. I do think that the Astros will win against the Yankees. Uh, just looking at the record there I, I, and knowing uh, what our, what the team can bring to the table when uh, in a one game situation. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, 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 that's what I'm, that's what I think is going to happen. But again, not expert analysis at all. All right, Kevin, what about you? I think the Cardinals and Blue Jays are going to end up in the uh, World Series together. But I do like the Astros to beat the Royals. I think they're going to lose to the Blue Jays. And I hate the Rangers which is a reason enough for me to think they're going to lose to the Blue Jays. So, yeah, I got the uh, the two bird teams uh, in the finals there. 
the only thing that matters is the World Series. The only thing that matters is the Fall Classic. I think the Blue Jays are going to take on the Cubs, and I think it's going to be a great series, go down to seven games. I think somehow the Cubs are going to blow it. Billy Goat Curse comes back. I think the Blue Jays are going to get their first World Series title since the early 90s when Joe Carter uh, was absolutely phenomenal during that series. Uh, so I look for the Blue Jays to come home and bring Canada the, uh, the championship. Andrew, appreciate you joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. The Big Lead. In July, Visa, one of FIFA's top-tier sponsors, said that the scandal-ridden global soccer organization needs to get rid of its leaders and undertake a deep reform, joining Coca-Cola, Adidas, Anheuser-Busch, and McDonald's in their fierce criticism of FIFA's president, Sepp Blatter. On Friday, Coca-Cola and McDonald's took it one step further and called for Blatter to step down. Despite Coca-Cola and McDonald's making these claims, Adidas and Kia do not join the U.S. brands in demanding that Blatter step down as the FIFA president. Seems to be a lot of controversy surrounding that organization. What do you see as the future for Blatter? Is he going to step down? Is he going to be forced out? What is the outlook for Blatter and FIFA? Honestly, I don't see him stepping down. The guy is power mad, and he has a mandate from FIFA, if not the world, if you recall. And if you recall when he was elected, right, I'm now the president of everybody, which is one of my greatest sound bites ever. I think that he's the most arrogant person in the world right now, and I love him. I hope he is the president forever until he dies because he is just an absolute treasure trove of faux pas, gaffes, and utter F-ups. I love him so much. Uh, can, we, can we go through some of the things that Blatter has done uh, in his tenure? Go right ahead. So, Blatter, not a great guy. He uh, drew criticism at one point during the 2014 FIFA World Cup seating uh, when he interrupted a one-minute silence for former South African President Nelson Mandela, who died the day before, after 11 seconds. That's awesome. That guy is really terrible. Um, also, he talked about the uh, IOC, the International Olympic Committee. Um, he accused them of having uh, finances they did like a housewife. So he is uh, terrible. And then he talked about uh, in the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, um, asked about homosexuality being illegal there. Uh, he basically said that gay fans should refrain from sexual activity. Well, there's one other thing. The whistleblower, 2011, uh, Phaedra El-Majid. I'm not sure at all that I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, she basically has a quote where she says, uh, the FBI have everything. There are people who are annoyed with me for speaking out, and what irks them is that I'm a female Muslim whistleblower. I just don't think Blatter actually intends to quit. Everything he does is very calculated. Interesting point that you bring up, and actually his daughter, Corinne Blatter and Matten, spoke to a Swiss outlet earlier this week. She said that the media has ruined his reputation. Why are they picking on him? What did he do to them? I simply don't know. It's just not envy. It's hatred. Zach, I know you're a huge fan of soccer. What do you think of Blatter and, you know, kind of uh, the state of FIFA as it is right now? I'm not a fan of Blatter. I was, you know, really excited whenever he announced that he was going to step down. I <laughs> You know, I was kind of surprised. I, I figured, you know, him stepping down would be about the equivalent of a Supreme Court justice, you know, letting go. Um, but I'm not surprised that he decided that he's not going to resign. I hope he gets forced out. The sport absolutely needs to have major, major reforms done. Um, I'm really hoping that maybe uh, UEFA or even South America will uh, protest and withdraw and uh, from the the World Cup, uh, the next World Cup, or uh, any of FIFA operations and, and try and force for some major changes. Um, but yeah, he needs to go. Jeremy, what about you? Do you think these sponsors stepping up and calling for Blatter's reg resignation, do you think that's going to have uh, any sort of impact on, you know, whether he decides to leave or not? You know, not really. This guy's like the proverbial Teflon Don of soccer. I'm actually sort of impressed with just uh, how much criticism he just doesn't seem to care about. This is nothing new for Blatter. He's sort of used to this. Uh, I do see that the, the, the corporate criticism is sort of unprecedented. And I, I, have not seen that happen before, uh, especially with an organization like FIFA. 
So, I mean, what what do we have? Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Visa, Budweiser. Uh, Those are some big voices, but I just don't know if that actually translates into him voluntarily stepping down. If you Google Sepp Blatter, the first thing that comes up is Sepp Blatter money. Do you guys know why? Okay, so there's a comedian, Simon Brodkin. I was not aware of him before this kind of broke. I think it broke in like July. But um, he does some characters, and one of the characters he does uh, broke into some sort of FIFA official meeting with Blatter there. He was wearing a North Korea media badge, and he went up with a stack of cash and flung it at Blatter as he was escorted off by security. <laughs> and it's a great it's a great act. This guy's actually famous for like trying to get on planes with the England uh, World you know, Cup team and things like that. But this is probably his best one because there's just a great single shot of Blatter basically making it rain is what it looks like. And that's, that's of course, a joke about all of the corruption. You know, the protesters, whether it's from, you know, random individuals crashing press conferences or whether it's from corporate America making a stand, I think one of the biggest issues that we have, especially under the Blatter regime, is the bribes that have been taking place, uh, especially looking toward the 22, uh, 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Uh, you know, essentially having to move the World Cup from its traditional summer uh, and having to move it to December, uh, you know, all the major leagues in Europe are going to have to postpone their season, uh, you know, with the, you know, essentially we see slavery going on right now uh, with, you know, immigrants coming in and building stadiums, many people dying. And it seems like, uh, you know, FIFA and the rest of the world is essentially turning their other cheek. Uh, a lot of people have called for FIFA to withdraw that bid from Qatar and give it to a you know a, a first world country like the United States or somewhere in Europe. Do we see in seven years the Middle East hosting the World Cup? Yeah, honestly, I do. I don't think they're going to change it with all the the money that's gone into it, and you know it takes a lot of time to plan for those sorts of things. Or the, the longer they wait to move it, um, they severely limit where they can. Uh, right now, I think really the only place that is set up to be able to handle some sort of like that on short notice would be the U.S. or maybe somewhere in Europe. What on earth is going on in Qatar, though? Are they building the Great Pyramid of Giza? Like, this human rights violations that are occurring, the amount of deaths, like, this is the modern world. I mean, Qatar is a, is a civilized, uh, I mean, not a first world country, but they have some first world money. I don't understand what is going on over there, but there's no way that they can end up with that World Cup. That's absolutely, I mean, it's terrible. That would be a, a black mark that wouldn't even be funny. I mean, we're talking about not just a faux pas, but really, like, human lives at stake. Speaking of uh, you know, the unprecedented death toll and essentially slavery that we have going on right now in that country. Uh, there was one worker death preparing for the 2012 London Olympics, one death in Vancouver, two deaths in South Africa, you know, only a handful of deaths in Beijing preparing for the 2008 Olympics. Uh, when it comes to Qatar, there have been so far more than 4,000 people have been, you know, found dead according to a 2013 Guardian investigation. So that was two years ago. Uh, you know, that number is continuing to skyrocket. I mean, it's just essentially unethical the way that they've been treating their migrant workers. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if these corporations that are making this quote unquote bold stand by issuing Friday afternoon press releases are actually going to put their money where their mouth is and, you know, pull out, uh, you know, sponsorship dollars from FIFA. So it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out uh, heading into next year and then looking forward seven years down the road. That's crazy. I mean, somebody has to hold them accountable. The U.S. It basically demands you pay taxes on your illegal activity. It's how they got Al Capone because all of his illegal income was not taxed. So um, you needed tax, yeah, deduct legal fees from gross income, yeah, even though he incurred the fees because it was fine. This is a case that occurred. Uh, Tellier is the name of the case. So basically, Blatter, through his illegal 
taxation because he has some sort of U.S. presence, they're going to pursue him for not reporting uh, illegal income, which if it goes through, will be the first time that's happened since Capone was uh, arrested and jailed for illegal tax fraud. An organization as powerful as FIFA, uh, essentially, uh, you know, flexing their muscle here, kind of daring countries like the U.S. to come after them. And I think Blatter is taking a very, very bold stance. I mean, seeing some of his counterparts be arrested, being, you know, charged, uh, you know, being extradited, he's basically telling the U.S., come at me, bro. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how far the U.S. actually does come. Around the horn. Donald Trump decided to make things interesting this afternoon with a Trump against Marco Rubio by sending him a care package. And guys, I think this is just too good to pass up. As we know, Trump has been trolling essentially the Republican Party for the last few months during this campaign. And uh, this afternoon, he sent Marco Rubio a 24 bottle case of Trump Ice National Spring Water with the outspoken billionaire's face on it. He also mailed Rubio two towels and several bumper stickers boasting the Make America Great Again slogan, and he left this genuine letter. Since you're always sweating, we thought you could use some water. Enjoy. I just love it. I mean, whether you like Trump or not, I mean, he claims that this water is for the body and soul and thinks that Marco Rubio needs it. Uh, you know, if you just follow him on Twitter, he essentially says that uh, he's he has the worst voting record in the United States Senate. Teflon Don, he's always finding a way to keep his name in the news. Uh, Jeremy, tell us about your subject today. We've got the college football rankings and playoff predictions. It's a little surprising what happened this week. Um, our most beloved SEC sycophant, uh, Paul Feinbaum, came out this weekend after the dust had settled um, and put Baylor in the number one slot for the college football playoff, um, which is kind of surprising if you know Feinbaum and if you know some of the other critics uh, on ESPN, they're, they're not always too friendly to Baylor, but we uh, were able to nab the, the number one spot in a couple of different brackets. Um, rounding out the top five here, we've got Utah, Michigan State, Baylor, TCU, and Ohio State. Ohio State just barely holding on to that number one rank after struggling against Indiana. Um, I will also note that Kirk Herbstreet, who gives no love to Baylor whatsoever, did actually um, tweet out his rankings for this uh, this AP poll and did have Baylor in the number one spot, which uh, I'm still honestly kind of flabbergasted that occurred. I think the biggest thing is Feinbaum. How does he not have Alabama and Auburn one and two? I, th- I think it's still just uh, a little too early, you know, to really put any stock in like playoff predictions, but it is incredible to see, at least from a Baylor fan's perspective, Herb Street and Paul Feinbaum giving some some credibility. I'm still not sold on our defense yet. Uh, I, I want to see us beat West Virginia and Kansas State and Oklahoma before I really start, you know, uh, getting way too confident in, in whether or not we're going to be a, a one seed in the playoff, but uh, but at least it gives us something to talk about. All right, Zach, so we were talking about college football. I hear you have a college football topic for Around the Horn. Let's hear it. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the University of Texas and uh, what's going on with the Longhorns. They're off to a 1-4 and four start, which is a worse start for the UT program since 1956. They have taken a big fall since the days of Colt McCoy and Vince Young and are now, in the last five years, the uh, fifth best team by winning percentage in the state behind Baylor, TCU, Texas A&M, and Houston. Uh, and you know, from what we saw on social media, that's it's there's a locker room imploding down there. Uh, Strong is losing control. Just wondering what your guys' thoughts are on the uh, 
the the big end all be all of college football. It couldn't happen to a class year program. That's all I've got. I agree. I mean, I love Texas. Like I love the Dallas Cowboys. And when either one is underperforming or doing poorly, it's just like good theater. I love watching them struggle. I love the press conferences. I love the dissension in the locker room. It's basically Shakespeare. I mean, this thing is falling completely apart and I love every minute of it. And it's only going to get worse. I think, I think strong's out. I think that, uh, you know, there's going to be new leadership there and he's not long for this world. Uh, at least the world of Texas, but uh, but it's going to be fun to watch in the meantime. I think he's a great coach, but it's a bad situation for him. I think uh, Chip Kelly is in uh, you know kind of hot water right now with the Philadelphia Eagles, and I could see him coming in as a possible replacement. I think he'd be a splash hire. Texas has the wallet, you know, to buy out Strong and pay for uh, Chip Kelly. So we'll see what what happens there. Zach, what, you had one more thought? Yeah, no, I just I was just going to say I think it's funny that the. Uh, the the bleeding heart liberal on our show now has uh, talked so much about liking to see people suffer. It's apropos. Kevin, this is around the horn. Close this out. So you guys have seen this uh, Arizona State University uh, sorority on the Arizona Diamondbacks, if they're seeing this year. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're going to listen to the audio. Uh, the podcasters will be able to hear it, and uh, I'll just kind of fill you guys in. This is during the, the D-backs game against the Colorado Rockies, I think, and it's got a section, a whole section that's been bought by a sorority. That looks like there's about 25 girls there and uh, young women, and every single one of them has their cell phone out, and they are snapping pick after pick after pick. <laughs> I mean, look look at the one on the right. Do you have to make faces when you take selfies? Wait, one more now. Oh, there you go. Better angle. Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? That's the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken of myself today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Oh, Lord. Every single one is dialed in. Welcome to parenting in 2015. (laughs) They're all just completely transfixed by the technology. This is an absolutely hilarious video, honestly. I mean, we've been enamored with the selfie culture, and I'll be the first one to admit it. I mean, I have a GoPro. I've got a stick. You know, it, it takes great photos. You can get about, like, 45 people in uh, a photo with that wide-angle lens. Uh, but this video is just fascinating. I mean, these these broadcasters are absolutely railing the girls. Uh, and actually, the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, issued a public statement apologizing to the Alpha Chi Omega sorority, offering tickets to a game on October 1st. And I actually thought the sorority... Had a nice uh, PR play here. Uh, they declined the tickets and actually asked that the uh, Diamondbacks donate them to, uh, you know, a domestic violence awareness organization, a women's shelter. Uh, so I think, you know, in a bad situation, the sorority at least comes out looking good, uh, especially, you know, uh, when the NFL and so many different organizations are struggling with domestic violence. They're able to, uh, you know, kind of make light of the situation for themselves. But uh, make a positive spin on this. First of all, the railing, as you call it, was not nearly so bad. He's poking gentle fun at them. He says things like, oh, here's the picture with the first bite of the churro. Here's the picture with the second bite of the churro. It's very lighthearted stuff. And second of all, you're right. That was a PR play that the sorority made. And it was a great one because sororities do things like that. But they deserved every bit of mocking they got. It was comical. Uh, I hope you guys like that audio. Uh, it, it definitely made me laugh when I saw it. And it, uh, it went viral last week on social media. Closing time. So we had a we had a fun episode tonight, uh, the eighth episode of the Weekly Brew. We had a guest on, Andrew Cooley, to talk baseball. We talked about Sepp Blatter and the corruptness that is the FIFA uh, in, in soccer world. And honestly, FIFA and soccer is just a foreign concept to me as I like football, baseball, and American sports. Uh, but it's definitely interesting to see how it all plays out. And uh, again, tonight we had our guest host on, Kevin Cook. 
Kevin, appreciate you joining us tonight. Guys, uh, I, know, I know Kevin is a little bit more of a liberal than uh, both Jeremy and Zach, but uh, how did you guys, uh, I know we really didn't dive into any juicy subjects like gun control or, uh, you know, uh, anything of that nature, but what did you think for the first episode with Kevin on? I had a great time. I thought it was great. Um, Kevin, I, I really enjoyed having you on. Uh, difference of opinion is definitely great uh, and just adds a little bit of diversity and, and uh, just some fun banter. So thanks for joining. And speaking of diversity, he also has red hair. So, uh, you know, we've got we've got guys with thinning hair. We've got guys with, uh, you know, longer hair. And we've got a ginger on staff now. So it's, uh, it's a nice little addition to the program. A left-wing ginger. That's just what we need. And I don't have thinning hair. It's actually a very full, thick, lustrous head of hair, too. I was referring to myself. No, I know. I just wanted to point out that, you know, those two categories didn't overlap, that I have wonderful hair. So. We should probably post a pic of Kevin's hair so that everyone can make sure that it's as he's representing it. All right, so we had a fun episode tonight. Thanks again for everyone for listening. Uh, check us out on iTunes. You can follow us uh, by searching The Weekly Brew. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash weeklybrewcast. You can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash weeklybrewcast. Again, for my co-hosts, Zach Taylor and Jeremy Paxton, also want to give a thanks to Kevin Cook for joining us tonight. I'm Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Paxton.